0: So, who's that girl? A New Girl podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm Kritika. And today we'll be discussing season two, episode 22, Bachelorette Party.
1: This episode originally aired on April 9th, 2013, and was written by Kay Cannon, who last wrote season two, episode nine, Eggs. It was also written by Sophia Lear, and this was her first writing credit on IMDb. She wrote five more episodes of New Girl and was actually already involved in. New Girl, because she was a writer's assistant up until this point in season two. She also wrote one episode of Living Biblically and about two to three episodes each of the shows The Cool Kids and The Unicorn. This episode was directed by Matt Soane, and this is the only episode that he directed of New Girl, but he did direct other shows like The Office, Blackish, The Mick, Trial and Error, and The Kids Are All Right. He also has more credits as a cinematographer than as a director. In this story, after The Loft receives their wedding invites and finds out that Cece's wedding is in three weeks, Jess plans Cece her perfect bachelorette party. Meanwhile, Schmidt goes looking for a girlfriend to bring a plus one to Cece's wedding. But before we really dive into anything that actually happened in this episode from a plot perspective... I just have to call out that we tracked the whole theme songs all through season one. And we obviously weren't going to continue tracking them here, but also up until this point, it's been the same shorter one. And then this episode is the first time in season two we've really seen the longer theme song.
0: I noticed that too. It was really surprising to all of a sudden get this like full, hey girl, what you doing song? And I was like, oh, okay. Did they have less content this episode? (laughs) That's what it immediately made
1: me think of. (laughs) That's exactly what I was thinking of too, because it does feel like there wasn't as much in this episode as we've seen in some of the other episodes so far.
0: Another thing about it, too, just high level that I thought was interesting is that we talked about in the last episode how Elizabeth Meriwether and some of the other showrunners had to kind of restructure the second half of their season, mostly after the kiss that happened in Cooler between Jess and Nick. But then even with that, they had to kind of adjust it as well because of when they were going to get featured to be immediately after American Idol in the time. And so they actually had this episode immediately coming after Chicago where Nick's dad died, but then they had moved it so that after American Idol, they would have instead the first date episode, which included much more of the regular cast of New Girl. So they kind of switched the order of these two, these last two episodes, and I don't know about you, but for me, having that insight now, watching this episode, I was like, oh, it seems like you basically then moved it out of order, but didn't really update it in such a way that made sense anymore. Because now, getting first date immediately after Chicago, I was like, oh, okay, Nick's like kind of sad about his dad, maybe, but like not really. But immediately here, and through the whole episode, we just see Nick In his yellow tracksuit that he was sent by his mom that was his dad's because they have this exact same butt and he just said dead dad pass to everything and i feel like that would have been funnier and
1: more applicable immediately following the funeral episode i think there is a sense of humor associated with it not being right after chicago but from just a logical perspective, it is extremely strange that he was pretty much over it and now this is his excuse for everything. Like it doesn't flow and knowing that the order was changed, it gives it a new meaning where you can see that. And I do think they didn't update really the content of the episode based on the order, but I don't really know where they would have gone with Nick trying to take this picture and how he was going to use that as an excuse and what Nick would have done in this episode, really. But then again, I think a lot of new girls just kind of random moments strung together. So maybe they could have found a different way to go about this, but the dead dad pass did not really fit coming after first date.
0: Yeah, exactly. But then his yellow tracksuit was a whole new thing. And it was pretty fun to see Nick wearing that the entire time. He never changed. (laughs) But what the whole episode was really about was... Everyone getting invited to Cece's wedding, which we find out is in three weeks from this episode, which I was very kind of surprised about. I did not think it would be such a short timeline of when they would mail an invitation to when they would have an actual event, especially a wedding. I just feel like that's a very short amount of time to give anybody to try to show up at this wedding. But then (laughs) at least Jess springs into her mode of instantly wanting to plan Cece's bachelorette party.
1: So it's interesting that you kind of bring that up because something that I've actually seen with Indian weddings is the invite actually does come much later, but usually a save the date comes before. So there's some sort of notice to people that this is when the wedding is, but the actual fancy invites that we actually kind of got to see a little bit of in this episode do come much closer but it's not so much as an alert of the wedding. And three weeks, obviously they knew about it a little bit because Shivrang had family come in from India. So like that takes some planning to come in. But the fact that Jess didn't know it was in three weeks and three weeks is not a lot of time. Like I'd wanna know how long it's been since Tinfinity when Shivrang proposed. Like how long have they been planning this wedding? Has it been just a month? Like that's still really quick even if it was a month of planning. And with those fancy invites, I love that Winston thought it was a gala that they were invited to, because do people get invited to galas that they don't already know about? (laughs) I don't think
0: so. (laughs) If anything, you wouldn't get invited to a gala to just attend. You would be invited to purchase a probably a considerably priced ticket to a gala. Right, <laughs> and and like you said, like what did Winston think he was so special that they all got invited <laughs> to the same event? That's pretty funny. But that was really interesting about the Tenfinity because yeah, they definitely proposed, and then there were even many episodes in between then and now where CC wasn't even in the episode, let alone ChevRon. So suddenly it's back, it's happening, and that's I guess another reason to me why if this had come immediately after the funeral episode, we would have gotten a little bit more continuity rather than two whole episodes without Cece. So it would have made more sense to have this before. But even though it was surprising that Jess didn't know immediately about when the wedding was going to be, I did love how she instantly was like, Cece never cared about her wedding. Cece wanted a bachelorette party. And in true Jess magic,
1: she turned it around and had a bachelorette party that night. I have no idea how she got it together that quickly. And also the flashback of seeing Cece wanting to plan this bachelorette party was ridiculous because she was so young. Like she should not be thinking about a bachelorette party right now. She was definitely too young.
0: And you knew it when she was referring to a thong as the underwear that goes between your cheeks. Like she didn't even have the words to describe thongs. And you're just like... Cece, maybe we should not be concerned about you having like penis balloons or something.
1: You know, let's let's wait for you to grow up a little. 100%. And after we get to see that Jess is going to plan this bachelorette party, we shift to seeing what Cece is doing in this moment because she's sent out these invitations, but she is overly stressed. Like you see her putting together like the seating chart for the reception and then Shivrong is very excited to be married so that they can finally make love, as he puts it, and he makes all these weird noises, and I was just cringing with Cece of just, what are you doing? Why? Just please stop. (laughs) Well, and I think her reaction was, we're already going to be married
0: forever. Like You could kind of tell there was this moment of like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? But also, I'm marrying you forever. This is going to be Forever. (laughs) Like,
1: how could this be possible? That's really the beginning of seeing her fears set in because the next time we see her, she's at the bachelorette party, which Jess has, like you said, thrown together in one day. And I really appreciated seeing Sadie there. Like, we haven't gotten to see her so much. And even when we went to a party at her house, she wasn't there. And while it was interesting the way they played off Sadie in this episode, I was really happy to see June Day and Raphael back.
0: I was too. I love Sadie and I love her character. And she was the best in this moment because here she is, a really pregnant lesbian woman that she's proud to be. And she has said previously in an episode that the baby hormones aren't as gay as her, but definitely just give her a lot of hormones. And she's just like, hey, let's everyone have a party. Like this is a real event and let's bring out the cranberry juice. And it was just really cute. I thought Jess was being such a good friend too, because she's just like, don't make me call your wife. Like, you can't be giving exams to these models. Like, calm down.
1: The models and the one lawyer that was there who had to differentiate herself from all the other models.
0: (laughs) It was really quite funny. But then I also love too, in this moment, how Jess, like the whole model beef that she had previously in the season, like now didn't matter. She was gonna have Cece's like best bachelorette party. But then she was clearly the only one of her style of surprise party because she's like, Cece's coming, it's happening. And she's like running to hide, but she's like shuffling. She seemed very mouse-like. I just thought it
1: was really cute. I feel like this is another place where they're playing on the cultural aspect of all these models not being from America because they look at her like she is a mouse, like, you're saying she's mouse-like and they look at her like that or like an alien because they're just not moving. And so when Cece does end up coming up, they're just all there, I guess. And at least they do make their way towards the door so that they can kind of still surprise her a little, even if it's not hiding and jumping out and saying surprise. But I loved just kind of trying to figure out how she fits in with this group and trying to get them to do what she thinks Cece wants at this moment.
0: Or just how much faith Jess had that in one day they were going to make it happen and they were going to follow all the rules or her expectations so perfectly. I'm like really surprised even they all happened to be available for her. I'm glad for Jess that it came together.
1: And also like how decorated the place was, the fact that they had a life-size poster cut out of Chevron like that's not something that comes easily. So I'm I'm hoping here that Jess knew that at some point she would have to do this bachelorette party. And so she just had some of the stuff like worked on in the background was like, oh, no, it has to be tonight because three weeks away, the wedding. But either way, even if she was able to somehow get all of this together in one day, it was a very well- decorated and planned party. I have to give Jess all the credit for this because it really looked like she did her best to get Cece what she wanted, even like a slideshow.
0: I was just going to mention the slideshow. like That takes a lot of effort actually to put it together. I've put some of those together for family events before and it's... It's not, let me just make that in 20 minutes. (laughs) It takes effort to find all those photos. But I was going to say on the printout, actually, she probably just went to the same guy that Nick used when he pranked Schmidt, when he was marking the wall to show he was getting shorter and like make a whole diagram or whatever he did and like get it printed all in a day. And, you know, Nick had that hookup. So Jess probably borrowed that to get an instant pin the dong on the chevron. (laughs) That moment, too, was so funny when Cece walks in and they're telling her and they're chanting it, pin the dong. And she's like freaking out. And that's when she realizes she hasn't seen it. But Sadie, another classic Sadie moment when she's like, but you still know where it goes. (laughs) Don't be confused.
1: (laughs) Oh, I actually thought part of that freak out was also the first piece seemed kind of appreciation of like, oh, you put together a party that I would like. And then the second piece was like, oh no, his aunt's right behind me. I didn't feel like she actually started to freak out about it until after the aunt went to the bathroom and they kept doing it, like kind of whispering. And that's really when she freaked out, I think.
0: Yeah, that's true. I did cringe so hard when the aunt was, you know, right behind her. And she's like, no, I'll come up too. I want to meet your friends. And Cece was so convinced that it was just Jess. Like, it's fine. And Jess alone would have made such a great impression because she even did her regular thing here where she comes in all the way from India, the aunt, and Jess says, welcome to California. (laughs) rather than just our home because she was traveling from so far. And I feel like Jess on her own would have made such a great impression. But Jess was definitely in bachelorette party mode and was like, no, I know what Cece wants and I know how to be her best friend in this moment. But Cece was just trying to put on a
1: show on top of the freaking out about getting married forever part. And I think the biggest part about the aunt meeting her friends, and like you said, Jess would make a good impression, but I think the thing is, she says this to chivrong and you can see his face being like "Ugh," because every time he's met them it's been something crazy like he meets them for the first time and it's because jess thinks that she's like being attacked by a gang and then watches cc profess her love to schmidt to make him feel better then you see him going to schmidt and nick's 10-year friendiversary to infinity party of living together for 10 years. And then also Winston came running in looking for a condom. So every time Chevron has seen her friends, it's been in this like very crazy situation. So I think that's even more so why he was like, okay, even if it's just Jess, like your friends are a little bit much. But something that kind of plays out through this whole episode and even in previous episodes is when Chevron is sitting there in the car and Nick and Winston come in to kidnap him because they have to distract Chevron so that Jess could have Cece's bachelorette. They come in and Winston says, I'm going to beat your ass with an athletic stick. And it's just continuing this like very aggressive prank that... He keeps trying to do for everyone. And honestly, in the past couple episodes, he's also basically just mentioned killing someone as the prank. Like, even in this episode, when he was getting the instructions from Jess, he says if they were supposed to take Shivrong to the desert and rough him up till he doesn't breathe anymore. Like, it's just intense and it keeps coming back. Like, Winston's go to pranks are just murder.
0: Or even how he interprets the task of having to get a picture of Chevron's penis for Cece and getting that to happen, because Winston's just instantly trying to like take down his pants and Chevron's freaking out. And as you, we all know later, it's like Nick is trying to trick Chevron while he's going to the bathroom that there's a fire. But what does Winston do? Not take a picture. He actually starts a fire. Like. He is he's very extreme and it's a little too much most of the time because he he just doesn't know how to dial it back a little bit. But I think that's the whole prank Sinatra, right? So Winston only has no pranks or all pranks all the time.
1: But I feel like we haven't seen any of his like no prank ideas lately. Like everything has been on the extreme side. And when they introduced the concept of prank Sinatra, they really mentioned it from the perspective of when he goes too little, it's like, let's pour some juice by her shoe. And that was the prank. And we haven't seen any of those. Everything has been like full speed ahead, extreme pranking. Like inject a bear with Hepsi and let it run loose amongst a restaurant. Like it's just been so intense. It really, it really has. But
0: Nick in the moment too was kind of being intense about it because it almost seemed like harassment that he was like, no, let's do it. Let's all take this photo. Let's do this. Look, you know, the only way you're going to make my night better and my dad passed away. So the only way that's going to be better is if you take this picture and good on Chevron for being like, um, you guys are crazy. <laughs> like this isn't even like an American bachelor party idea. Like this isn't just something to do. And it just was very clear that the three of them were not really going to get along or really get on each other's pages about how this night was going to go.
1: A hundred percent because Nick and Winston just wanted to get out of there. And even when they find out that this is what Jess wants, that she wants a picture of Chevrons' penis, Nick's obviously not into it, but as soon as she says, you can come home once this happens, he's like, yep, give me 20 minutes. And Winston's the same way. He's just so nonchalant. Okay, cool. Like, This was so strange. Like this whole storyline, I thought, like I understand how it fit in with the Cece and Jess Bachelorette storyline, but all of it seemed so strange. I'm just glad it ended in a way where Shivrang finds out that it's because Cece's freaking out and he goes home because he actually has feelings for her. He cares about her. And it helps to solidify that this is a real relationship. And I kind of mentioned this back, in Tinfinity, when he proposed that I was glad to see that there was more to their relationship that we kind of hadn't seen because otherwise it felt very surface level and not like they actually liked each other. And this definitely shows that Chevron likes Cece. It's not just something set up by their parents or that just that she's pretty, but like there's more to it and he doesn't want her to be uncomfortable or upset or freaked out.
0: Yeah, I thought it was really the right thing to do as well and felt very similar to you. But also, meanwhile, back at the party, they're all getting a little bored because Jess is suddenly trying to keep it a little bit more G-rated to appease Cece because the aunt is there. And Nadia eventually just puts on the TV so that we could see the slideshow. And of course, like the first photo is just Cece taking shots straight from the bottle and Cece's like dying on the couch. <laughs> oh my gosh. But I really didn't understand why Jess's solution to all of that was to just block the TV and <laughs> just not have anything else. And she's just like, Nadia, turn it off. Nadia's not going to listen. The character of Nadia that we know, she's going to do whatever she wants. And she's going to just think it's funny, however it looks. So it was like so cringy, though. I felt really
1: bad for Cece. I did too. And I was screaming at the TV, Jess, just unplug the TV, just turn it off. Or like now that you're saying it, I was thinking, why didn't you just go to Nadia? And why didn't Cece get up and do anything to stop this? I get it. Like she's probably just mortified of like, this is my future family. And it's not like my family. It's my husband's future family. They're not from here. What might they think of me? But like, this could have easily been avoided, and in the real world, this would have. This would not have just been someone standing in front of a TV to block it. We would have fixed this so much easier. But I think part of it is also just, just trying to figure out where CC stands, because CC asked her to change the party, and I appreciate that she does, and I also appreciate that she checks in and says, are you sure? But I feel like it's kind of iffy if this really gets explored enough in the episode. But like, I also would think that young Cece, when she pictured this whole bachelorette, didn't think her husband's family would be there. And I feel like I understand why she would maybe not be every aspect of who she is with her husband's family that she doesn't even know yet. Like It's not like she has an outstanding relationship with this aunt and knows what she's okay with and what she's not or anything like that. It seems a lot like she just got to meet her a few days ago or a day ago. And so I appreciate that Jess is concerned about CC changing, but I also think that you can have a couple different sides and maybe you don't want to show your family your most rowdy, like I drink alcohol from the bottle side.
0: Yeah, it's possible. I do think you're right that they only really met a few days prior because even Ankita gets up and is immediately like, this is who you are. This is who, how you're going to be as a wife. And of course it's not how Cece's is going to be as a wife. Just kind of like you're saying, like, you know, people have different parts of themselves and they can be adult enough to do different things at different times. But The part that really kind of stuck out to me that I think only got exaggerated now once Ankita storms off, Cece basically says, like, I don't want any of this. This is not something I'm interested in. So then that makes Jess storm off. So then Jess and Cece are having this argument. But so much of it for me, from Cece's perspective, is you have to come back to eggs where Cece finds out that she has a low egg count and it's going to be harder for her to get pregnant if she continues to wait for a longer period of time. And so that's what really set her out on a journey of, okay, I need to find someone who then I can get married to and have kids with, because I need to settle down now, not later, so that I can have children. And That is a really big decision to make. And this is a comedy. So over this whole storyline for Cece, I get how it's been really funny. And we've been to an Indian marriage convention and we've really tried a lot of different things for Cece so that she could find this person. And Schmidt's been through it all with her in a way because he's struggled and he's kind of seen her from afar, but not really been the right person. But I really don't feel that Cece is happy with how this is all playing out and how quickly this is all playing out because i don't think jess was wrong knowing her friend for so long that she's like cc doesn't care about her wedding cc wants a bachelorette party but all we've seen in this episode so far is cc trying to deny the bachelorette party and planning the wedding and like putting the places and like putting everyone at their tables and like figuring out things and details and It just doesn't seem to align with what's making Cece happy. And I just makes me question, like, is this really still what Cece wants? Because that's not really clear anymore. And I'm kind of
1: worried for her. It's definitely worrisome because three weeks is really fast. Like, it's not enough time to really get to know a person, to get to know their family, to know what you're getting into. And I think you're 100% right that she's looking at what her – next steps are, and trying to almost check the boxes to get there, because she does want the end result. And so it's not like she settled down with the first guy she met, like she did make sure that Chevron was someone she wanted to be with. And I think they could have a future, but it would only rely on having more time to explore it. Like, I don't know that Chevron is bad for her. Obviously, we really like Schmidt with Cece, but I think that Chevron could be good for her. And fulfill some of her needs of wanting to be with someone in her own culture and stuff like that but I don't think that just rushing into the wedding is necessarily right either and I appreciate that Jess got to this point where she can actually share that with Cece because even though they're mad at each other and even Cece is calling out a good point about Jess kind of having a middle school relationship with Nick where they can't really address what's going on and all of those things are true and I'm Grateful that they're the kind of friends that can actually express that to each other and still get out of the episode being friends, being good, almost being better than ever. Because there's a moment in there where Jess actually says one of my favorite lines, you question my pajama sets, you question our entire friendship. And I loved it because obviously it's the most ridiculous thing, but it's so serious to Jess. Don't mess
0: with Jess and her pajama sets. That <laughs> That's next level. I also... Was a little surprised, too, that they didn't start boob slapping each other. Because that would have been so perfect in this moment. I mean, yes, I'm glad that they ended the episode actually kind of remaining friends and, like, stronger than ever. I think you're totally right there. But I was like, they introduced boob slapping in the season. And here we are, where they're fighting again, to the same extreme of it. And we didn't get that again. I can't be the only one. I wanted to see this. Like, maybe this would have become a bigger thing. And people would have been like, oh, wait, boob slapping and anger fights? (laughs) Not like I wanted that to happen in real life. But like, (laughs) I just think that it's just funny because it was a very new girl thing. And it didn't really go anywhere.
1: I actually forgot all about the boob slap, but it would have been perfect to have that continuity here. But instead, the stripper walks in that Jess has hired, which let's just take a moment and say how much Jess has gotten better at hiring a stripper than when she hired one for Schmidt's 29th birthday. Like I'm impressed because it was this man named Alfredo. He comes in playing like candy shop by 50 cent and they just are not having it at all. I thought he handled the situation
0: quite well at the beginning because he goes, it's hot in here. Let's cool down. And I was like, this is brilliant. Yes, it's very intense in here. And let's bring it back to the fun bachelorette party. But oh my gosh, their stares, Jess and Cece, when they stare you down, and they're not having it. I think the only appropriate reaction would have been Alfredo's where he's just like, I'm sorry, or like, rocking away sadly and saying, you know, like, congratulations, Cece, like all sad and defeated. He was not gonna have a chance.
1: And how did he know who Cece was? It's not like Jess would have given him a description of who the Bachelorette was. He just automatically knew. That was interesting to me. Unless they were like yelling so loudly, you could hear them from outside. I mean, Schmidt did know
0: Alfredo when he passed him in the elevator, when Schmidt is kind of coming back into the scene. So maybe Cece and Schmidt knew Alfredo from a totally different situation. And (laughs) that's how Jess knew to call him too. But if we
1: think about the timeline of this, Schmidt walks in right as the guys get back after they've all looked at the photo and the photo comes in after the stripper. So how did they send the photo and head all the way back to the loft and walk in while the stripper was still in the elevator crying or he had just left? How long did the stripper stay there? The world may never know. (laughs) And obviously, Nick and Winston were not able to get a picture of Shivron's penis. So Winston saved the day over at the bar by cropping and rotating the photo that Nick took of his own junk and sending it to Jess saying it was Chivarong's. And Jess gets it. Everybody looks at it because, I mean, she says it's Chivarong and then... Cece comes running over like, wait, what? Why are you texting him? Or like, what's happening? And then of course the aunt shows up and grabs the phone because what are they all huddling around looking at? All of this was just, I have no words.
0: Jess in this moment was perfect because she instantly was like, no, auntie person, don't look at the dick pic on my phone. And she just- (laughs) But the way that she expressed that was like, get
1: out. I loved <laughs> and so, it. I
0: was like, and then suddenly it was like this whole like respect issue. Like, what did you just say to me of like, how are you communicating to me? But then the aunt just takes the phone anyway. And she's like, oh, you're just worried about his manhood. Like, let's talk about this. And I think then it got to a really sweet moment because then, you know, we see a scene where she's just sharing a story of how this was like really traumatic for her and like what she had to go through, but like in a funny way, you know, like this is just something we all do. And like, it's not a weird thing to worry about at all. So I really liked how that kind of played into it then and how the aunt ended up being like really cool with everything, you know, and realized kind of like finally realized that this was a bachelorette party. And so Cece was just preparing for her wedding in a way, just through different kinds of games than she would have approved of otherwise.
1: Yeah, I think that what really stood out to me there was everyone was paying attention to the aunt too. Like it wasn't like othering her or othering them. Like no one had to feel ashamed about like, oh, look at this photo of me or is this your lifestyle? It was just so family-like and close friends. And it was a very sweet moment. And of course, that's when all the guys walk in to. Make sure that Jess hasn't looked at the photo on her phone, which of course everybody has. And once Jess finds out that it's Nick's, she goes back to the phone to be like, really? Is that yours? She immediately wanted to see it again.
0: I thought that was so – that was like the only moment too in this whole episode other than like Jess trying to get Nick to be on in on this shenanigan with her that was the only moment this whole episode where I was like, oh, whoa, those feelings are definitely still there. Because what is Jess trying to do right now? But then how everyone too was like, oh, yeah, Chevron, like, that's looking good. And he had to be like, (laughs) "Um, actually, and Nick's like, yeah, it's mine. It's mine. And everyone's like, Nick, okay. (laughs) But then he was like, mortified, sort of, but like not, I don't know. I was really kind of like mixed from Nick in this whole thing, but he also didn't say this was my nightmare. So maybe it was okay.
1: (laughs) He looked kind of proud, honestly. And maybe because the first thing that Jess said was like prize hog, so like, does that like automatically go to him? So he started off like, okay, we're in a good place where we're starting and Jess didn't laugh this time. So there's that too. There's that too.
0: I know much better experience than when he was in naked early on in the shows running. But I think the best part was that Chevron then was like, okay, I'll show you my software. <laughs> Nick's like, at least call it hardware. Oh my gosh. But then CC was doing the right thing. And she's saying, we don't need to do that. You know, it will be special. And maybe because we are waiting, it is going to be more special that way. And so she was kind of having a moment for herself but then, I think this really put the cherry on top of this episode <laughs> that she couldn't, that she didn't say his name correctly. She was pronouncing his name wrong this entire time. And actually like hearing it through the episode, everybody is saying his name incorrectly the entire time. And only later he's like, you were just so pretty. And I'm like, you don't I don't know it's a really weird feeling to be on the other end of that and realize how much you've messed up for so long and I can't even imagine
1: Cece when it's her fiance (laughs) (laughs) I cannot imagine how Cece felt in that moment either I feel like that was like the straw breaking the camel's back for her in that moment she's like no we can't get married like I can't I don't even know your name but then him kind of addressing it and kind of calming her down was very sweet to see. I've definitely been in chivrong shoes before, but I just thought it was funny that they started this joke earlier in the bar when Nick and Winston say Shivrang and he says kind of softly under his breath chivrong and like starts the joke there because they've never said it in episodes before, but he like starting to sow the seeds of like, okay, well, Maybe not for the rest of my life, you should call me by the wrong name, so let me tell you now. <laughs> what was also incredibly uncomfortable to watch through this entire show was Schmidt, just like Schmidt trying to like demand this one on one and just like being so douchey about it, like Schmidt gonna get his plus one. I was cringing and facepalming so many times through Schmidt's section of the show.
0: It made sense that Schmidt's storyline really diverged from the rest of the Bachelorette party, because I think having him be with Shavrung was not going to be a good episode. It was just going to be too much of him being sad, honestly, and like being petty about it. But he was, I guess, still sad and petty, just in more of a douchey way when he started going up to literally every girl he's ever dated because he actually believed like he even said to Cece like any girl I've ever dated has wanted to be my girlfriend or like be in a relationship with me so he went back to all his like one night stands and though even the first one was like oh I thought you had herpes I'm so glad of course I would never date you dick or jerk or whatever like (laughs) Why would I associate myself? Even the best, though, was the girl running away with her groceries. And Schmidt, who wants wanted to bring her to the wedding, immediately insults her, even though she's not there anymore, on how she's buying bulk cream cheese. And you're just like, Schmidt was not in a good headspace to try to find anybody. Clearly, we knew that. But also, that's how it was playing out.
1: He was 100% petty in all of these interactions. And he said that it wouldn't have played well for him and Chevron to have scenes together. And I think they played that really well because Chevron leaves to get like shandies or something. And that's when Schmidt sits down at the bar and tries explaining how all women are supposed to want commitment. And Schmidt, no. First of all, like this is not just a standard that everybody wants with every single person, but... I loved the moment where after he walks away, Nick goes, how did he know we were here? And it's like, where else would you be, Nick? You are always at the bar or at the loft. There's no other place. It was a fair chance he was going to find you here. Which
0: that's when in a way like the episode then kind of turned in a way because like now he's like coming to his friends with his woes of like not able to find someone, which totally agree with you that not all women want the same kind of commitment that he just is pretending he wants even in this moment because he does not want this commitment. He wants the challenge accepted fake girlfriend to bring to Cece's wedding just to kind of rub it in her face. He even says as much later in the episode but having his friends to listen to he's just trying to figure out who would be this person or what kind of experience he's had and they bring up Elizabeth which oh my gosh, I was so glad to hear about Elizabeth. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Schmidt had a Caroline. Let's talk about this. Like, let's get some information. And we just get to see really a whole other side of Schmidt in multiple ways because he's like, oh, Elizabeth doesn't count, which it's like, what? How could someone you've dated For a period of time not count as a relationship and he's trying to say oh it's because I was big guy then or it was during my fat time you know and that's totally not me anymore so that doesn't count but then we also get to hear about who big guy was a little bit from Elizabeth when we do meet her so it was really it was cringy and interesting at the same time it was a very interesting emotion I was having this episode (laughs)
1: I really appreciated getting to meet Elizabeth, too. And I like the parallel you had of Schmidt had a Caroline because it seems like he was with Elizabeth for four years, which is a long time. And I appreciated getting to know more about Schmidt's backstory because a lot of times I feel like Schmidt just comes off as a douche, like doesn't have anything else going for him except these funny one-liners. And it's nice when we get to see a softer side of Schmidt And Elizabeth really does bring that. Like, he even just shows up at her home and just automatically assumes she's not in a relationship. Like, maybe she had someone, but we're not even – exploring that possibility because he's still flexing his model girlfriend like once Elizabeth has cut through what he really wants he's still trying to be this guy of oh you know I'm trying to make her jealous because I'm so great look I kept the weight off and all the stuff and it's just like you said a little bit cringy but also interesting to see how Schmidt's kind of battling this duality of who he used to be and who he is and not able to take the good parts from both
0: I also was a little surprised that Elizabeth was just home, ready to meet him. (laughs) That was kind of funny to me. I was like, oh, here we are at her house. She is home. And even when he went back with the pizzas, here she is. She is home. Almost in the same outfit, ready for these pizzas. But like you're saying, there's a duality here with Schmidt, and there's a lot that he's trying to figure out. I think he is kind of being honest about, hey, I need exactly this. Like Elizabeth really cut through everything that Schmidt was trying to do by like with all the pretense and was like, why are you actually here? But then I really liked Elizabeth too because she's like, you hurt me. I have no interest in you. And it was almost like the truest one of all the girls that he went to go see and like get back together with. But in a way, don't really like how that got the episode to end up with him back there bringing the pizzas. Because it is this weird duality of, okay, I'm the big guy with you. You liked the big guy, but I'm not the big guy anymore. I like who I am now. And I really want to be with my model ex-girlfriend. And I don't want to be with you. But here I am going to bring pizzas to entice you, to make you think that I'm still that other guy. So that
1: I can be back together with you to take you to the wedding. I think it felt a little forced because they're trying to cram it all in into like five minutes of the episode. And I appreciate with Cece that he did come back and apologize. And he said, challenge unaccepted. So I don't know that he's trying to get back with Elizabeth for the wedding necessarily, but I feel like this is a moment where, honestly, I had thought we had already gotten to, but Schmidt was accepting that he wasn't going to be with Cece and Going back to Elizabeth for me, I liked that he went back to her. I liked that they are potentially starting to rekindle things. But what I didn't like is that it had to be the same night. It had to be pizza that he brought her. And I did not like that she made him eat it. I understand that what he was saying to her was, yes, I've changed. I've lost the weight. But the core of who I am, that was the core of big guy is the same. And I can still be nice. I'm not always mean. And I don't think that that's too much to flip into. But the fact that he had to buy her pizza, instead of just going to her and saying, can I take you on a date? Like, I promise I'll pay. Like that would have given the same emphasis on I'm paying for food. It doesn't have to be pizza. And it could have just been a different gesture. And I could have done entirely without Elizabeth's last moment and the happy dance and all that. Same here completely because
0: as much as Schmidt did have the moment with Cece where he said challenge unaccepted, which was really sweet and a good moment for him and Cece, that he showed back up to Elizabeth's house with three pizzas was ridiculous. Does he think that from his big guy days and just because Elizabeth isn't the model that he's used to going out with and they're different sizes and whatnot did Schmidt actually think that between the two of them, who he clearly, as he's having this whole pizza scene, hasn't had pizza in forever, that she was going to eat three whole pizzas? Like, why was there three? One pizza would have been the same scene. It would have been just as funny, but it felt insulting. I just, I also, I wish that we didn't go back there right in that moment. I would have been okay if like, we got to meet Elizabeth, but then like, Even if he like called her or something at the end and just said, hey, I'm sorry, would you give me a chance to go out? Like, I'd like to talk with you in a like serious way. You know, something else to get her to go into the next episode. Because you could really tell like from the last scene that she's now going to be present. And I think ironically, Schmidt's going to get to bring her to the wedding anyway. You know, I think it's going to continue at least
1: till that point. I think definitely a call would have made it much better because it's not like I didn't like seeing Elizabeth or the actress in the scene. I thought that was a nice wrap up to the storyline, but I agree. It's just didn't play out in the way that I think it could have. I think the scene where he does eat a slice of the pizza was really funny, but even that got ruined when Elizabeth asked, is that your happy dance, big guy? Because it seems so condescending almost.
0: It did. It did. And it, so I guess that's true. It was condescending for both of them because Schmidt brings three pizzas just for her. And she's also like, well, I don't care who you are now. I only like who I used to know. So I need you to be him. And it was just weird. It was like, I liked it, but I didn't. (laughs) It was like cringe, but okay, cool. We got to know more about Schmidt.
1: I think It'll be interesting to see where their relationship goes if they do keep it up, like you're saying, if they get to go to this wedding together. It'll be interesting to see what the storyline is for the two of them, because if it continues like this, I don't think that we're going to love a lot of it, but hopefully they're able to go past this and have a deeper relationship or just different kinds of conversations going forward. Agreed.
0: But getting to our schmidism. We're going to think of a different Schmidt moment that was truly hilarious. And it's when Schmidt comes out preparing to go to the booty burn boot camp. Critique is going to be Schmidt and I'm going to be Nick.
1: What are you wearing? What are you wearing? I'm dressed for my booty burn boot camp class. And I know what you're thinking. It's not because I need it. I go to inspire the others. Please take that thing off. You look like a homeless pencil. I will not. I have a pass. A pass? What kind of pass? A dead dad
0: pass, which means I can do what I want and no one can say anything about it.
1: I think it's hilarious that the episode actually kind of starts out this way when it ends with him eating pizza and like (laughs) all of the like dichotomy of those two things. And then, of course, like we talked about Nick's introduction of the dead dad pass
0: I didn't even think of that, of how the two things kind of are opposites of each other, where he was at the beginning of the class going to inspire others at the Booty Burn boot. It's so hard to say the Booty Burn boot camp. Yet at the end, he was willing to give in and kind of go back to his big guy ways
1: and eating his melted cheese again. And that's really one of our big not in the 2020s moment. The fact that Elizabeth forced Schmidt to eat the pizza and kind of even the assumption from Schmidt of giving her three pizzas, assuming that she would want it. But then also with Elizabeth and Schmidt, when Schmidt said that Elizabeth didn't count because he was in his big guy period and so somehow that just invalidated his relationship with her was another not in the 2020s moment for us.
0: Yeah, I don't think Elizabeth would have liked hearing him say that, especially as he showed up at her door. (laughs) later in the scene. The other not in 2020 moment though was when Nick was lying to Chevron about how to get a picture of his penis and how everything he was trying was just to try to manipulate him and also related to that once the photo got sent to Jess and Nick asked her to remove it she said it was her property now. The scene happened kind of quickly, but really that was the response that she had. It's like, oh, it's my property. It's mine now. I'm not taking it and deleting it.
1: That one definitely stood out as a not in the 2020s moment for us. The other two that came up for us were when Schmidt barged in demanding a plus one, just how rude he was, even dismissing the fact that Chevron Cece's future husband might be there and then dismissing to people he doesn't know that of course he's Schmidt, like everyone should know who he is. And then also, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, just thinking that all women are supposed to want commitment and operating under that assumption was another not in the 2020s moment for us. However, our yes in the 2020s is really Schmidt apologizing to Cece at the end. So
0: he did kind of barge in at the beginning and was... Not so great, but then he came back at the end to redeem himself a little bit. And it's always good to apologize to the people you care about when you're being a douchebag.
1: Yeah, it's something that was definitely not required of him to do, even if he had gone back to Elizabeth and felt differently about that. We think it was a good moment to highlight here in our Yes in the 2020 section. For pop culture
0: this episode, we're going to talk about the bachelor and bachelorette parties. In the United States, and sometimes in Canada, these parties are known as a bachelor party. In other parts of the world, like the UK, it's known as a stag weekend or a stag party. And in Australia, it's known as a bucks night. And the whole point is that the bachelor party was for a man who was shortly to intermarriage. The term bachelor, which previously had meant a young knight or student with a bachelor's degree, first appeared in reference to an unmarried man in Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, all the way dating back to the 14th century. But the concept of this type of party could be actually traced back to ancient Greece as early as 5th century BC, where ancient Spartans would celebrate the groom-to-be's last night as a free man. In the United States, bachelor parties stereotypically include the mass consumption of alcohol potentially hiring a stripper, and general rowdiness. While well, all bachelor parties are definitely not the same, and they definitely don't all include all of those things, most prominently in history, bachelor parties did not include the fiance to be present at the party. It was meant just for the groom and all of the groomsmen.
1: And obviously, bachelorette parties are typically pretty similar to bachelor parties. There are a few differences that we found traditionally, including that while a bachelor party is to celebrate a groom having his last day of freedom and usually consists of family and groomsmen alike, bachelorette parties traditionally, and in some cultures considered hen nights, are more to celebrate with the bride's closest friends of the last days of being a single woman. So it doesn't really involve as much of family that aren't necessarily friends. And like Kelly mentioned, while alcohol is something in bachelor parties, it's also something in bachelorette parties. But bachelorette parties tend to have more party games and can even be at a person's house or other locations like bars and venues. And traditionally, there is also a gift brought to a bachelorette party, which is different than the bridal shower because a bachelorette party is for the bride to have on her wedding night or honeymoon. And so it's more of clothing or typically a piece of lingerie. Whereas for the bridal shower, it's more to set the bride up for their new life that she's going to be entering. And one thing that we found interesting as we were kind of looking into this is how much more of a new trend it is in these pre-wedding parties that instead of having a separate bachelor and bachelorette party they actually have a bachelor and bachelorette party together with all the bridesmaids and groomsmen and get to celebrate entering this new phase of life together
0: and any way that the bachelor or bachelorette party is celebrated whether it's together separately and whatever activities they do it is something that since kind of the 1980s Many of the ones in the United States include vacationing to a different destination than the group or the bride or groom are originally from. And so that too is why many have end up being together when you have to do like a vacation or a travel.
1: Getting to our guest stars section, we have previously talked about Satya Baba, who plays Shivrang in season two, episode 18, Tinfinity. June Diane Raphael, who played Sadie in Season 1, Episode 15, Injured, Rebecca Valentine reed who plays Nadia in Season 1, Episode 22, Tomatoes, and Lauren Dare Owens, who plays Young Jess in Season 2, Episode 5, Models. We will also not be discussing on today's podcast Sudha Desai, who is the grandmother, Frank Capello, who plays Alfredo, the male stripper, Brittany Stanwood, who is a model. She was also previously in the episode Models. And then a few other models like Margarita Callis and Eugenia Kuzmina.
0: We're also not going to be discussing Talia Toms, who was listed as hot girl number one. Katie Walder, who played Cheryl and was also previously in season one, episode eight, Bad in Bed. Cynthia Merle, listed as hot girl number three. Jaden Jeron who is young Cece and does come back later in the series. And lastly, we won't be talking about
1: Roma Chugani, who plays Ankita. We are going to be talking about Merritt Weaver, who plays Elizabeth on this episode. She's been in TV shows like Run, Godless, The Walking Dead, Nurse Jackie, The Wire, and the miniseries Unbelievable. And in movies like Michael Clayton, Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, Marriage Story, and Signs.
0: Merritt Weaver is currently working on the film Midday Black, Midnight Blue, where the film is set in Puget Sound, and it's going to be about a man grieving over a woman he loved dearly and died many years prior. So that's something exciting to see her in coming up. But then Merritt Weaver actually has won multiple Emmys, two Emmys before where one was for playing the character Zoe on the Showtime series nurse Jackie. And when she won that Emmy as her first Emmy, her speech was something of just 18 words where she said, thank you. So, Oh no, thanks so much. Um, thank you so much. Um, I gotta go. Bye. (laughs) She had said in an article that her mind had gone blank and there wasn't anything else that she could have been capable of saying in that moment. So She's definitely someone who takes her work very seriously and yet is also very humble in her achievements.
1: In our trivia and fun fact segment, we have the fifth part of the series of articles and interviews that the AV Club did with the New Girl showrunners. And in this episode, some of the things that really stood out to us from the interview was how Elizabeth as a character was created to kind of see the side of Schmidt before any of his weight loss, but also how she challenges him on his bullshit. And Elizabeth Meriwether mentioned seeing early cuts of their scene and thinking that it was really good and how it highlighted the fact that while he has all these feelings for Cece, we all as an audience really like him with Cece. Cece isn't really making him a better guy, but Elizabeth kind of getting him to get to the point, be honest about his feelings, is getting him to be a little bit better version of himself. They also discussed in this article the dead dad pass
0: and how it was actually Kay Cannon's idea to put it in there and how from their perspective, they wanted to acknowledge that Nick was going through something but not talk about it like it was a sad, emotionally indulgent place. They wanted him to live his life even though he had these feelings and how this was actually a thing. The dead dad pass was actually a thing that people in Elizabeth Meriwether's life had a couple people who had lost loved ones close to them had said, too, that there's some kind of pass when you go through emotional things like that. So thought that was kind of interesting. But either way, they ended it by saying, anything that can get Jake Johnson to put on a banana yellow tracksuit is a good episode. Which is actually kind of ironic, because at the Variety reunion that they did in 2021... Elizabeth Meriwether shared that this episode actually was probably not one of her favorites and it was kind of a bad episode. They thought that Jake Johnson in the yellow tracksuit would really kind of bring the humor and dynamic to this episode that was maybe a little lacking, according to her. But she's not sure that it landed in the way that it would have really pulled the episode
1: into a higher humor standpoint. And then a couple quick camera goofs or just things that were noted on the IMDb page that we verified as well was around 13 minutes and 20 seconds when Jess is talking to Alfredo, you actually see her say, not now, Alfredo, before you hear her say it because you see her lips move. And then once he says seriously and his back is to the camera, it kind of sounds like he was saying other things to her, like his mouth looks like it's moving. And it probably is just like a joke that got cut out that didn't quite make the final cut of the episode and maybe explained a little bit more why he was so mopey at the end of the episode. The other quick camera thing that we noticed was around 15 minutes and 50 seconds When Schmidt knocks on Elizabeth's door, the door actually pushes open a little bit, kind of showing that it was never actually closed, and him knocking pushed it open.
0: But that really brings us to our rating and favorite character of this episode. IMDb gave it a 7.6 out of 10, and the audience viewership was 4.09 million in the US. I gave this episode a 7.5. I'm saying that as I am weighing my hands back and forth, as in I'm not sure how I feel about it. Because there was just things in this episode that I thought were really fun, and then there were moments that I thought were really not fun, and how I really wanted there to be more humor, in a way, and it just didn't come through. I also think that by spoiling it for myself and knowing that this episode should have come right after the Chicago episode, I think just in a way, made me not like it.
1: Honestly, that played a big part on it for me too. I gave this episode a 7 out of 10 because maybe I am biased, like you're saying, knowing that this should have come after Chicago. But having been through first date and getting to that moment at the end where Jess and Nick are both just behind their doors trying to figure out what's going on and then immediately coming to this scene felt so strange to me. And... This episode had moments that were funny, which is kind of why it wasn't even lower than this, but it definitely did not stand out. And if it had been after Chicago, I think my rating would have been higher. It also was difficult for me to choose a favorite character. I didn't really like anyone overwhelmingly more. So I actually picked Chevron in this episode because I feel like he was really able to be there for CeCe in a way that really shows he's more than just an arranged marriage, he's trying to be her husband, he's trying to be her partner, and I appreciated how he immediately jumped to, I want to go see her when he found out that she was freaking out. So I really enjoyed getting to see him and that relationship develop a bit more because we haven't seen a lot of it on screen, so hopefully we'll get to see them even more as we lead up to what I imagine is their wedding if it happens.
0: My favorite character was Jess in this episode, but I, like you, had a hard time kind of deciding on someone. I ended up with Jess, though, because I really just like how time and time again, she and Cece are really best friends. And even though they had a moment where they needed to like talk it out, Jess was there to support Cece and be her friend through all of this.
1: So that wraps up everything but the spoilers. We really appreciate you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. And if you found it interesting or enjoyed it, please give us a rating or leave a review for us in whatever podcast platform you're listening to this today. We appreciate any feedback you have. So shoot us an email at whosethatgirlpod at gmail.com. Reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter at girlpod, or check out our website at smallscreenchatter.com. And if you don't want to hear any future storylines, you have five seconds to pause now. But if you do decide to pause, we'll see you next week for episode 23. End game couples. So starting right out with Jess and Nick, even though we didn't get to see a ton of them this episode, we gave them a seven. I actually was leaning closer to six than seven, and Kelly was right at seven because this episode, especially the end, you really do get to see a little bit of that Jess and Nick chemistry as she's checking her phone again when she finds out that the picture is Nick's penis, not Chevron's. And there's definitely something still there. But we are not really seeing it progress because every episode, we feel like it starts and stops, starts and stops. While more is out there, we aren't quite getting it.
0: Schmidt and CZ, this episode, we were kind of separate in our feelings about what we would rate them, but settled on a three. Ultimately... The pettiness that Schmidt had throughout the episode was really not a good sign for them. But then even at the end, when he said challenge unaccepted, it was him really showing Cece that he was going to be okay because she was now going to be getting married and he didn't need to really rub it in her face in a way. And so there's still obviously a little bit there, but it's really not going to be impeding this wedding anymore from Schmidt. So it's more of like a friendship rating. Yet on the douchebag tracker for Schmidt, where 10 means he's a douchebag and zero means he's a genuine guy. We both rated him an eight. Schmidt did not have a good time this episode. And he was a douchebag to many women and a douchebag to Chevrons family and just a douche all around.
1: And as far as any other spoilers, we did want to Obviously, shout out the season five episode where Cece has another bachelorette party because she's finally getting married to Schmidt, which is exciting. But what we wanted to call out in this episode is it's also not really the bachelorette party that Jess kind of creates here. And it's a little bit more toned down than what young Cece would have thought of her bachelorette party.
0: But that brings us to the end of our episode for season two, episode 22, Bachelorette Party. Kritika and I want to say thank you again for listening to this episode of who's that girl, a new girl podcast. And as she said, we really welcome your feedback. So please give us a rating or reach out to us on social media or at who's that girl pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We hope to see you back for the next episode.
1: Bye. Bye.